0: you're with us today. Thank you, Brian, for leading us. And if you're new to our live stream or our Facebook uh, cast, we just want to remind you again that our bulletin is online, actually. It's at towerviewkc.com slash live, towerviewkc.com slash live. Reason I point that out is uh, we will have our sermon outline on the uh, second page, bottom right, if you want to join us for that. As we get ready to enter our time of worship, we're going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, Hebrews chapter 1. And we'll be starting a new series today called Greater Than, Greater Than. And this is a series that we've kind of been putting off in a good way, I suppose, the last several months. Because if you've been following our teaching over the last several months, you know that we've been doing a lot of topical sermons a lot of sermons that have been very directed towards uh, ideas and and just kind of one topic for one week, and, and those have fit a purpose, we believe. But we are excited to get back into the workings of a verse-by-verse study. And we are going to be in the book of Hebrews starting this week, and we'll see how it goes, but we anticipate by February 2023, that sounds a long time off, doesn't it? In about 14 months, 13 or 14 months. We are going to be uh, fulfilling our obligation to go through every verse the best we can. And so this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Uh, I'm going to read that for us. If you're wherever you are, if you would stand with us in honor of God's word, we're going to read it this morning actually going to read down to verse 4, but we're going to be preaching on verses 1 to 3. And today's sermon title is called Greater Than the All-Surpassing Awesomeness of Jesus Christ. The All-Surpassing Awesomeness of Jesus Christ. Say that five times really, really fast, and you'll get there. But this morning, I want you to hear God's Word. I want you to know what it says. I want you to understand what it is. That's what we're about here at Tower View. We want you to know God's Word, not just intellectually but in your heart as well. So hear God's word this morning, and may he be glorified as we study it together. Let's read together. Whoever the author of Hebrews was says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance, speaking of Christ, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he, again being Christ, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And having become as much superior to or greater than the angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs." Look, this morning, as we go through this book, we're going to give some back history. We'll give an intro, but I want you just to really relish in who Jesus Christ is this morning. That's what this is all about. Most of the letters in the New Testament, they open up Paul, an apostle, or, or Jude, or, or Peter, this and that, and all good things. But whoever the author of Hebrews is doesn't want to give his name. He just goes straight for who is the greatest name, of course, that being Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to be looking through this. May God be glorified with it. Uh, I really wish we were in person to do this, but we're going to do it virtually. Thank you for hanging out with us. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's go before him. Father, thank you so much that you have spoken. Father, we should not take that lightly. As Brian read earlier, and as we heard from Pastor Nelson as well, uh, we we know, Lord, that these things are things that uh, we so often hear that You created and and it was and said and it was and Father that You are the one who sent Your Son to sit at uh, to sit among us and that He would be exalted to heaven, having finished the work You sent Him here to do. Father, we take these things for granted, but in this time in this age where we live, some two thousand years after the Book of Hebrews. Father, we're reminded that these truths that we're going to mine out in the coming months and weeks ahead are things that are so easily forgotten or taken advantage of, or we just kind of just say, oh, that's nice. Father, but this morning, just as the author of Hebrews does, would you open our hearts with the floodgates of just who you are? Would you set our fixed gaze not upon navel gazing, but Jesus gazing this morning? Father, would you help us to let our hearts be uh, soar above as it is the, the heavens? Father, would you let everything around us just be at a standstill for this one time as we have sung about, as we've heard, may we study what you have given us. And Father, just as these Jewish Christians were tempted to go back into the things of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Father, we too are tempted to go away from the things you've given us in the New Testament, the New Covenant. So, Lord, give us steadfastness. Let us hold firmly to the confession of our faith, just as our Savior did as he ran the course, as Hebrews 12 said, and finished the race. May you give us endurance, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Well, you may be seated wherever you are this morning, and I just want to thank you again. Today's sermon title is a mouthful, but we are in the greater than series, the greater than series. And you know, from whether it's Shakespeare to playwrights, or or the Mississippi, or locally for us, the Missouri River to uh, rivers, Hebrews one is is basically that and all more to the New Testament. 72 words in the Greek text compromise or comprise Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and it makes up, and each word, each phrase is pregnant with meaning. It's so so clear. We are looking at in these first three verses as it is the theological Mount Everest, from which we are able to see God's plan of salvation, his agent of salvation, which is Christ, and how he carried it out for us in Christ. But speech is a vehicle of revelation as well. We forget often that from Genesis to Revelation, God is a God who speaks. Ten times in Genesis 1, we are told it says, and God said, and God said. And when God speaks, things happen. Light came to be. Light existed. God spoke and the worlds existed. When God has spoken, in no other way could we know him. The universe, Psalm 19 says, declares the glory of God and bears witness to it and never stops telling about his love. Through history, it tells us about the sovereignty of God and all that He's done for us. And that's the only reason we can explain what He did for us on the cross. And even Romans 2 tells us that our conscience bears witness to our mortality, our our simple death date someday with God, that we stand in judgment before Him. So let's be clear. As we get into this greater than study, that unless God speaks, we would never know Him or His love for us. I mean, to us, the, the universe, the history, our conscience, and are our, our, our all one hieroglyph, as it were, that God is giving us in his Rosetta Stone, which is a history marker of how we understand ancient languages. Jesus is God spelling himself out in language we can understand. Jesus is the speech of eternity translated into our time, the language of time, and, and the inaudible has now become audible. We now understand what God meant when he said things in the Old Testament. The invisible has become visible. And the unapproachable, the, the holy God that you couldn't even see without dying, has now become accessible through Jesus Christ. You know, communication can be garbled in two places. It can be garbled in the source, and it can be garbled in the reception. Any husband and wife know this. Well, you told me this, but I heard this, right? Or any kid gets that too. Mom, you said this, but you're actually expecting me to do this. And there's a story told of Franklin Roosevelt who once conducted an experiment when he was president during the World War II days. And in a receiving line at the White House as people passed by to greet him, he mumbled the words this clearly. He said this. He said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And people went by him and said, oh, that's so wonderful, Mr. President. We're praying for you, Mr. President. God bless you, Mr. President. But as the ambassador to Bolivia at that time came to him and heard what he said, he leaned over to President Franklin Roosevelt and said, well, President, I'm sure she had it coming. When God speaks, he does not mumble. He does not stutter. God is the perfect communicator. Jesus is God's perfect communication to us. He's the ultimate communication to us. And as we look at this this morning, I want you to know that God has spoken. And as we go through this, you're going to see the awesomeness of Jesus captures our hearts and commands our lives. And I want you to see this in seven ways this morning. These are short points, but I want you to see how God has spoken once and for all through His Son. And that's why He is the all-awesome God. So let's get right into it. The first point this morning, uh, well, before we get there, let's give some back history. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Who wrote Hebrews? We don't know. Let's be honest about that. We don't know. There's a whole list of people from Paul to Barnabas to Mark to Philip. We have no idea who wrote it. But we do know it's inspired of Scripture, and it would have had to have been an apostle, someone who was divinely carried about by the Holy Spirit. It was written about two years prior, probably, to the fall of Jerusalem. So we're talking like 68 AD. Why was it written? It was written to show that Christ is greater than all the Judaism systems from the past. God used the Old Testament. He used the system of Jewish ceremony and practice. And many Jewish Christians contemplated forsaking Christ to go back to those things. But the author of Hebrews reminds them that those things were a foreshadowing of what is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We cover the deity of Christ. We cover the sufficiency of Scripture, the security of the believer, all these great things. One of the most unique things about Hebrews is, is that the Old Testament is quoted over 100 times. Because, again, God has spoken, and the author of Hebrews understands that. So who wrote the book? We really don't know. Origen, the great second-century scholar, said, quote, only God knows for certain who wrote the book of Hebrews. doesn't matter who wrote it. It matters what it says. And it says this, is that our God is an all-surpassing, all-awesome God. So let's get into verses 1 through 3, that back history. I want you to see the first trait of this all-awesome God. I want you to see how he's spoken, with the first point being the superior word, the superior word. Word look back at verses 1 and 2. He says long ago at many times in many places God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Look, God is there. God could be silent. God could have left us as we were, but he speaks. God again is a speaking God from Adam in the garden all the way to the very last in Revelation God has spoken. He says, long ago, it's referring to the Old Testament era, the Old Testament era, that the fathers, from Abraham all the way to John being the last one, from the prophets Moses to Malachi, he says he spoke in many ways. It's almost like God took a dimmer switch. You know what those are, don't you? When you go to a place and you can kind of turn up the lights and turn them off, it's almost as God went through, there was a sense, and I'm going to use this phrase intentionally, a progressive revelation about what was to come. God would give out a little bit more here and a little bit more there about what he was going to do. And he did that to show us that the the, the Savior was coming. Well, how did he show us in many ways? He gave us the law. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us the sacrifices, the ceremonies, the kings, the judges. He gave us the book of Leviticus. Some of you are going to be there in about, oh, six weeks or so in middle February for your Bible reading plan, and you're going to question your sanity at times. But he also gave us symbols and parables to do this. But he says, in these last days, I want you to know, you know, so many people get so wound up about the last days and they look at the news and all the feed and all these things that they want to place the, the, the proverbial tail upon the donkey or, or the pin on the donkey, whatever it is, you know the phrase. But friends, the last days have always been since Christ died until he comes back, whenever that is. But when Christ came, it was a consummation of his coming. He has now spoken to us through his Son. Jesus is the final word, and it can't be said in any strongest measure. No priest, no pope, no, no council, no whatever. Christ has spoken. This is why the Bible is complete as it is. We don't need, as, as our bulletin has a typo, we don't need a 1,010 psalms. We have what we have because we have what we have, and he's spoken to us. He is a superior word, and that's what everything in Scripture was. The epistles tried to explain and correct everything Christ said. Not correct Christ, but correct us in our understanding of it and the false teaching around it. Revelation, the book of Revelation, was about his coming again. The superior word was there. This is why the father said at his baptism and and on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 5, the father said, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Church, we would do well to listen to the son As pastors, we are fallible, we we make mistakes, we're going to mislead you at times, but we pray that everything we do, we must listen, because God speaks in His Word. God speaks through His Word, and God has spoken in the ultimate Word, which is Christ Himself. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and that is Christ and Christ alone. He is, first off, the superior Word. That's the first awesome fact about our Savior. The second fact I want you to see, look at the end of verse 2, is that not only is he the superior word, he's also the sole heir, the sole heir. The end of verse 2 says, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he, referring to the father, appointed the heir of all things. Through him, he's appointed the heir of all things. Graham Goldsworthy, which is one one of the best commentators around, in my opinion, said this. He said, for Jesus to be heir of all things implies that all things are defined in relation to him. If our lives were defined in relation to him, if our churches, our families, the words of Jesus, the words of the creator, there's nothing more worthy of our attention. Christ was appointed heir. And I want you to know here in the Greek, this has already happened. Christ didn't earn the title because he lived his perfect life. He was already appointed heir. The Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that Christ had to go through the crucible of being a ministry on earth to kind of graduate, or to use a video game term, to level up to, to the next level, to an expert level, to be God or something like God. But that's not what we believe. We believe that Christ is the sole heir of everything that we have. He is the only one who is able sufficiently to carry out the Father's plan. God the Father has placed under his feet the entire universe. All has come under his authority. Colossians 1 15 and 16. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, whether in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Listen, we herald the gospel of a king who was crucified for our sins. And raised for our justification. Christ is the only one to receive the power and dominion and glory. And we'll get into how that works in the Trinity in a minute. But I want you to know that Jesus is the ruler of all earth, earthly kings. He's anointed with the oil of gladness that the Old Testament talks about. He's the heir of the nations. He's a friend of sinners. And what an honor it is to serve him, isn't it? We get to do things in his name. And so, Christian, can I remind you this morning... That as you pray this new year, as you go before Him at church or in your family or by yourself, when you pray in His name, there is nothing that is impossible unless it is clearly outside of His will. This sole heir is the one who stands between us and the Father, who's inherited all of power and all authority. There's nothing that you have that is too small. Whether it's Aunt Mildred's knee pain or the dog that died or, or the traffic ahead of you, you pray about it. You take it to him. He cares for you enough that he not only came to you, but he gave his life for you so that as the heir, he could go before the Father on your behalf. Take him up on the offer and he, will, he won't disappoint. So he is, the, he is the superior word. He is the sole heir. Number three, he is the sovereign creator. He's the sovereign creator. Look at the end of verse 2. Very last phrase there. It says, through whom also he created the world. He created the world. Now, we often talk about this, don't we? It's, it's that time of year. Many of you are reading your Bibles. And as Pastor Nelson will remind us often, if you get to January 15th and get off the Bible reading train and you miss it for a week, Jesus still loves you. And that's very, very true. Get back on the train and get on the tracks. But you need to know this. Many of you are in Genesis. Who created the world? Who fashioned the world? And we will easily say that God did, right? But specifically here, look at what it says. Look back at verse 2. If you have your Bible in front of you, it says, through whom he also created the world. Who's he referring to? He's referring that he here is Father, but the whom is the Son. It's it's the Trinity at work, but specifically the Son. It was delegated by the headship of the Father to the Son. Genesis 1, let there be light. who fashioned the first man? It was Christ creating. It's not refashioning the world. You know, there's some who believe that this world was just simply a remake of something else from another dimension, like some sci-fi thing. But we know that he created, Christ did everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo, to use the old phrase. And when he created it, he created it out of his power alone. And so it says there, and you notice, through whom he also created the world. You might have the, uh, the phrase, the ages, there in your Bible. What did he create? Not just earth. Not just what you see. Not just what you experience in nature. But he created time and space and energy. And a, definitely a topic I don't understand, Nelson does, but physics. All those things that make your head spin and, and, and smart people get to do. He created all that for his glory and our good. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him, speaking of Christ, was not anything made that was made. Even the devil was made by Christ himself. But may I remind you, as Luther said, that this is, uh, Luther reminded us, Martin Luther the great reformer, that this is Christ's devil. The devil has no more authority than Christ allows him to have. So, friend, I want to remind you, too, this morning, You were created to be what God created you to be. Your gender is what it should be, male or female, not unisex or whatever else. Your temperament, how God made you. You may be like a Peter that flies off the handle, or you may be a lovey-dovey like John. I don't know. But God made you that way. He made you with the gifts and abilities that you have. Your sense of acceptedness is not based upon what people say. It's not navel-gazing. It's based on Jesus gazing and looking higher to who he's made you to be. You don't need to be someone else. You need to be all that God created you to be. He didn't create you just to be someone else. He created you to be you. That sounds like Dr. Phil, doesn't it? But let's not let Dr. Phil capture what the Bible says. You were created for a purpose, and you were created to serve him and him alone. So do that to his glory this new year, wherever you are. So he is also the sovereign creator. He's the sole heir. He is the the one that is the superior word. But number four, I want you to see, he's the shining reflection. Got your Bible still? I hope you do. Look at verse 3. And I want to take a moment through this because your Bible may say something a little bit different. I want you to catch this. This awesome Jesus also is the shining radiance, the shining radiance. Look at verse 3. It says in the ESV here, it says, he, that is Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. You know, this verse is best probably translated. and This will make my friend Brian, who's a King James guy, very happy. This verse in verse 3 is probably best translated in the New King James or King James or Geneva Bibles. The Greek term here literally means, it literally means it's not nature, it's a person. It, it, this is important. I want you to bear with me for a second. I don't want to get in the weeds, but you need to know this. It's important, and I'm going to quote my friend Brian here. He says it's important for theology because the Son is not the exact imprint of the Father's nature, which would, by figure of speech, speech represent two natures. Closely connected with this is Christ's rebuke to Philip in John 14.8. I'll read that for you. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be good enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I not so long been with you, and yet you've known me, Philip? He that sees me has seen the Father. And so what is happening in this verse is you may have the phrase uh, radiance. You may have the phrase exact imprint. What we want to make clear here is that there is one Father, there is one Son, and there is one Holy Spirit. There is one God in three persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. They each have a unique nature but the point of this passage is, is that Jesus is the shining radiance, the exact imprint. He's not just some lower God. He's not just some lesser deity. He is exactly God himself, though distinct from the Father, distinct from the Son. And, and the Son is the express image of the Father's person. The revelation of the person of the Son reveals the Father to us as the Son is the express image of the Father. So what does this mean? It means, as Colossians two nine says, quote, "For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily." Jesus is not a reflection of the Father. He's not just simply some mirror like the moon is of the sun to us coming to Earth. Jesus is fully God. That's really the point being made here. He is who He says He is. It's not partial. He is exactly who He says He is. Colossians 1.15, He's the image of the invisible God. You say, well, Pastor, what does God look like? Well, if you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus, right? Let's go back to John. John 1.14. It's written about Jesus. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus said in John 12.45, whoever sees me has, see, has seen him who has sent me. You want to know what God looks like? You look towards Jesus and so, friends, I want to remind you, this is such an important point because so many false cults get into the, 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 the weeds of, of trying to change what the Bible actually says. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not the Father. He's not the Spirit. They are distinct in the Godhead, the Trinity. But here it says that He is the shining radiance, meaning whatever the Father is, whatever attributes, whatever traits, whatever power, they share it together. Jesus is not less. He is equal, co-equal, co-eternal, co-powerful. So friends, I want to just quote to you Hebrews 12 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Not glancing, but fixing our gaze on Jesus. Like a runner goes towards the line, like a kid goes towards a donut. And you if you've ever seen a kid look at a donut, you know what I mean? They just run after it like a like our cat Skittles does twice a day when we shake the cup and runs downstairs, that gaze is on that food because she knows you're going to feed her. Whatever it is in your mind, you need to know, is your gaze, is your family's gaze, is your whole life focused on Jesus Christ, or is it just something you do on a Sunday morning? He is the shining radiance. Number five, he's the sustaining power, the sustaining power. Look at the end of verse 3. It says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so what we see here is that he not only created the world, but he also upholds all things. That's a cool picture, isn't it? Because, you know, there are some people who believe that God is like this, this, uh, this, this sci-fi God who came and made the earth and like, hey, that's really good. That's awesome. I like this world, but I'm going to go to the next one. And he just kind of lets it spin out in its own little thing, and he moves on to the next world. That does sound like a sci-fi movie, doesn't it? But he upholds all things. It's one thing if he made it, and he walked away and said, I'm done, hands off. But he sustains it. All he made, he holds together. To use the kids' song, and Pastor Brian's going to look at me funny because I can't sing, well, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands. You're probably singing it wherever you are right now. He maintains the world. He preserves the world. He sustains the world. He directs the movement of the world. And dare I even say, he appoints the end of the world as well. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds and directs. It's more than just physical, but it's more than everything also that would transpire. To use a theatrical term, Shakespeare said the world is, all the world is a stage, but God basically would look at Shakespeare and say, look, I made the theater with all the actors, I wrote the script, and I'm directing everyone's part to an appointed end. We're not puppets, we're not Pinocchio on a string, it should be mind-blowing that God even lets us make choices as it is, but I want you to know that all things have a destined end you're not a Christian this morning, I want to tell you that God has appointed a day by which he is going to judge the world. And that judgment is coming. That judgment is coming for you. The Bible says in John 3 that if you uh, believe not in the Son of God, that the wrath of God remains upon you. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed, it's destined, it's, it's coming a day that everyone will die once. And then immediately afterwards face the judgment. Look, if you're a if you're non-Christian friend, if you're watching this, someone shared this with you or you're listening to it later, I just want to really encourage you. This Jesus we're talking about is not the Jesus of any religion or ism. It is the Jesus that is the real Jesus, the one of the Bible, the one who came and said, I'm the great I am. That is the Jesus we're talking about. If you do not know him, we, we implore you, we plead with you to, to, to trust in him, to believe in him, to repent from your sins and throw yourself on him like a person jumping out of a plane would grab onto a parachute and, and sail out with him, as it were, to eternity. I can't save you. The pastors here can't save you. Tire of you can't save you. Christ alone saves you. And he sustains you forever. He doesn't just leave you after he, he wipes you clean of all your sin and says, go, go figure it out. He who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of redemption. What a great God he is. He holds all the laws of science and thermodynamics. The the earth is exactly on the axis where it should be that we don't burn up or or, or, or freeze to death. He changes the seasons, the weather, the rivers, evaporation, the rain cycle, everything. And Christian, he sustains our little lives. Can I emphasize that word little? Because we are. You might say, little man, little woman, big God. Weak man, weak woman, strong God. Faithless man, faithless woman, faithful God. Sinful man, sinful woman, saving God. Yeah, that pretty much sums us up. And yet he holds us all together. What an awesome God we serve. Let's move on. Number six, another awesome fact about this Jesus is that he is the sin-bearing substitute. The sin-bearing substitute. We look at the end of verse three or middle of verse 3 actually, is why did he come? After making purifications for our sins. After making purifications for our sins. He's going now from the spiritual to the redemptive. He's going from, from what Christ has done in his power now to applying it to us in a little more practical way. It says the purification of sins. This is the entire substitute of the cross. Look, the point is, is that in the Old Testament, priests had to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And it never took away any sin. Well, pastor, I thought they did that to get rid of their sins. No, Hebrews 11 tells us we are saved by one way and one way only. It's been the same for all eternity. How are you saved? You are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Look, you are purified. You are cleansed of your sins. Christ had his own purgatory. We believe as Christians there is no purgatory. There's no second chance where you sweat off with Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies trying to burn off all the things that you did here on this life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus had his own purgatory. He purged. He he burned away. He cleansed all of our sins. He washed them away. He scrubbed us down. And he fulfilled by being the high priest and the sacrifice once and for all what we could never do for ourselves. Look, how do we know that the priest could never forgive sins by the sacrifice of animals? Because they did it again and again and again and again and again. It never forgave a sin. One death accomplished that. Hebrews chapter 10. If you'll save your spot there, go to Hebrews ten eleven. Turn with me to Hebrews ten eleven. if you have your Bible. Hope you still do. We're getting close. Hebrews 10, 11. And it says this. It says, and every priest stands daily at his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. Many of you grew up as I did, thinking that those sacrifices in the Old Testament could literally take away sins. But friends, here's what it says. It never takes away sins. But when Christ, Hebrews 10, 12, uh, offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand, waiting for that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering... He's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ's death is sufficient. It's final. Christian, if you are one of these who've walked for a long time and claimed the name of Christ, but you wake up every day unsure whether you're truly a Christian, first off, I want to thank you for being honest with that question. Most people aren't. Secondly, I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question. Did you come to know Jesus because of something you prayed something you parroted, something that you did to, to kind of pat yourself on the back and, and, and make happy those people who are telling you to get right with Jesus? Or did you really come to know Jesus? It's not to say that God can't use a sinner's prayer or a walking of an aisle or whatever, but, but those are means to a greater end. The greatest end is did you trust in a decision you made or did you trust in the Christ who made that decision once and for all to give himself for us so many years ago? And if you're unsure of your salvation, I would encourage you to go to our website, Tower View KC. In the last several weeks, we've answered that question. But if you really don't know if you're saved, if you've really been playing a fake church for a long time, fake Christianity, I would encourage you, you need to get right with the Lord, and you need to know that it comes from Christ. You made purification for your sins in Him and Him alone. Coming to church won't do it. You're reading your Bible a thousand times over, won't save you. It's trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Because of his finished work, we are totally forgiven. The cross was our judgment day. We've been declared legally righteous in Christ. God is our Father, and he'll never love us more than he does now. What an awesome, surpassing God this is. All right, last one. You ready? Number seven. Look at the end of verse three. Number seven. We'll close with this. He is the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Lord. It says at the end of verse seven, verse three, excuse me, point seven, that he... Upholds the universe. The universe three by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. What is this saying? Look, it began with him. He was a superior word, and now we're down to his supreme lordship. He sat down. I want you to know this imagery is here for a reason. An old pre- an old Testament priest had to stand all the time. Yes, they slept. Yes, they would sit down at times. But when performing their priestly duties, they were always standing because their work literally never stopped. It never ended. And so when he sat down as it was, when Christ sat down on the throne that is in heaven, the work was finished. The reconciliation between God and man that was broken with Adam's sin and passed through every one of us because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God had been achieved. The wrath of God was extinguished. And notice he sat down at the right hand. This is the hugest, or, or or you might say the highest authority. The right is the hand of strength to exercise all authority. Christ is the supreme Lord. He is Lord. Matthew 28, 18, you know these words well. Jesus said, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Christians, sometimes when we come to this Jesus, we 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 settle too easily. As C.S. Lewis said, we are far too easily pleased when it comes to God. We want and expect Jesus as our information desk guy. We want Jesus the ATM, Jesus the boyfriend, Jesus the socially conscious, vegetarian-eating guy, Jesus the cultural warrior, Jesus the chest-thumping ultimate fighter like, like Mel Gibson in Braveheart. We want Jesus the tree, uh, tea-drinking guy. And so on and so forth. But Jesus is none of those. But perhaps in some way he's all of those things, you might say. But I want you to know that this Jesus is the Supreme Lord. He is the all of God and he is all of life. We worship an amazing God who supplies all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. This last phrase we'll close with. Philippians 2.8. Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Christ And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess, whether in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We serve an awesome God. Guys, if you're here today and you are entering this new year with all sorts of stuff, I want to remind you about who our God is. He is a God who has spoken He is a God who's given himself for us. He's a God who loves you. He's a God who's directing you. And Tower of You family, I want to remind you that God is greater than any obstacle we face as a church family together or as we seek to win the world for Jesus Christ. He is that God. I just pray this morning that your heart's refreshed about who we serve. I pray it's refreshed about who he is, about who we are, and what he's called us to do. Because really, when we know him, He commands our hearts, and he captures our lives, and that's what we know to be true. Will you pray with me? After we pray, we'll have one closing song uh, with Pastor Brian as he comes, but I'm so glad you're here. Church family, we wish we could see y'all. We miss y'all. We really do, but thank you for your time this morning. Let's pray, and we'll continue our study next week, but what an awesome God we serve. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord, that he is the superior word, Lord, He is the sole heir. He is the one who's been created or has created all things. We thank you that He is the shining radiance of everything that you've given. Lord, we thank you that He's the one who sat down for the purification of our sins. He's the one seated at the right hand. Father, He's the one who sustains all things, and He is the Supreme Lord. Father, we pray that You do capture our hearts and command our lives with the knowledge of who You are. And Father, we are not uh, without. Not thinking that for some listening to this, even though they know these truths, are thinking, well, that doesn't pay the light bill, or that doesn't solve the relationship problem I'm having, or or that doesn't help me find a job, or that doesn't help me make this decision, or fill-in-the-blank life thing that needs to happen. Father, we can't solve everything in one sermon, to be sure, but we thank you that you have spoken through your Son. And Father, as people pray and they seek you, Lord, would you guide, would you encourage, would your spirit go and challenge, convict, and comfort all by your grace. Father, because where we cannot fill every gap, Lord, you will lead us into all righteousness, and we thank you for that. Lord, we love you so much. May you stir our hearts in this, especially locally, really cold day, even with the sun, around these warmful truths. We love you so much, Lord. We pray all this today in Jesus' name.